This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Hello, Allison. Hi, bro. In today's episode, we're going to learn how to ball like Buffett and invest like LeBron, with advice from both men that you can put to work in your life. We'll also talk about how saving more for retirement helps not in one, but two big ways. All that and more in this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, Allison, as I often do at this time of year, I've been gathering predictions for the future returns of various asset classes from various experts and financial services firms. In the industry, these are called capital market assumptions, and they're used by financial planners to put into their little calculators to determine whether someone's on track to meet their financial goals. So, we know that all predictions are difficult, and they're not going to necessarily come true, but you, you have to choose something. And I do this about once a year. So, I'm not completely done, but I've looked through the capital market assumptions of several firms, and here's generally the consensus. And again, these are, these are longer-term returns, like over the next seven to ten years. No one knows what's going to happen next year. But generally speaking, the returns have come down. So, the consensus, roughly, is that for U.S. stocks, they expect about 5.5% a year. Non-US developed country stocks a little higher at 6.5%. Emerging market stocks, a range of five to eight. Most people think emerging market stocks are going to do better than other types of stocks over the next 10 years, but there's so much uncertainty about that. That's why there's a range there. US bonds, two to three percent, and cash, two percent. You never really know what's going to happen with the stock market. You can have much more certainty about what people expect for cash and bonds. But the bottom line is. For all of these, these are below historical averages. So, if you were to use like a retirement calculator, you would have to assume lower returns. I think that's perfectly reasonable. What does that mean? Generally, means you have to save more. Which brings us to the next topic, and that is a recent article by financial planning expert Michael Kitsis about basically the one-two punch that comes when you save more. Because you're not when you save more, you have to learn to live on less. But if you are learning to live on less, that means you don't have to save as much for retirement to replace that income. It's something I've touched on before, but in Michael's article, he actually provides a pretty helpful illustration. So, ready? We got two examples. I'm ready. All right, here we go. We're going to talk about Joe and Sally. They're both 35 years old. They both make $65,000 a year. Joe is going to save 15% of his income. And according to Michael Kitsis's calculations, Joe could retire at age 65 when you throw in the savings as well as some Social Security. Now, Sally isn't going to save 15%. She's going to save 25%. But by doing that, she has to learn to live on less. What's the benefit of that? She actually could retire at 56, so nine years sooner than Joe because she saved more, but she also learned to be happy with less. So her retirement nest egg doesn't have to be quite so big. Um, so, while I've talked about this before, I think it's helpful to have that type of illustration. In the article, Michael emphasizes a couple of other things. First of all, for younger folks, as you get raises, and most of your raises happen within the first 20 years of your career, is to, to resist the temptation of what's called lifestyle creep. Whereas, as you make more money, you spend more money. And he actually touched on a strategy of, well, every time you get a raise, you Sock away half of it, and you only learn to live on half of it, which is something we've talked about in previous episodes and that some of our listeners have done, to a point where they're saving 40% of their income as they get in their later years. Now, for older people, he talked about how it's actually difficult to resist lifestyle creep if you're having kids, right? It's difficult. I mean, you need a bigger house. 
all kinds of expenses come with that. In that situation, and he talked about this in a related article, what you have to resist the temptation of is once the kids are out of the house, once the kids are through college, you're going to notice a lot more money that you don't have to spend. Resist the temptation to spend that on things like vacations, vacation homes, and boats, especially if you're behind in your retirement savings. Instead, you should use all that money and just shove it all into your retirement accounts. And if you do that for the last 10, 15 years of your career, because you no longer have to pay for the kids, you're actually probably going to be in pretty good shape. Stories of athletes making millions of dollars and then falling victim to bad people or blowing it on their own bad decisions. According to Sports Illustrated, 78% of former NFL players have gone bankrupt or are under financial stress because of joblessness or divorce within two years of retiring. Within five years of retirement, an estimated 60% of former NBA players are broke. So, there are a lot of stories we could talk about that are cautionary tales. But instead, let's talk about an athlete who is setting a good example, not only for his peers, but also for us as well, LeBron James. Now, I know you guys are huge sports ball fans, like I am. (laughs) And, uh, And I also know that my endorsement is probably very ringing. But if it's not enough, let's look to Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett considers LeBron a real friend. It's true, they actually hang out. And he says... Quote, he's savvy, he's smart about financial matters. It's amazing to me the maturity he exhibits. Right. So if you don't believe me, at least believe Warren Buffett that sure. LeBron's good with money. A caveat, I know very little a little about professional sports. I know the rules of basketball and a few names sound familiar. I know LeBron is good at basketball. <laughs> um, but now you're all gonna know that he's good with money too. So if I get anything wrong related to basketball, don't like don't email me. I don't care. <laughs> like that's fine. <laughs> okay. Some background. LeBron James was born in 1984 in Akron, Ohio. His mom was 16 years old and she struggled to raise him on her own. Between the ages of 5 to 8, they moved 12 times. Wow. Sometimes they didn't know where they were going to sleep that night or where they were going to get their next meal. The kid showed early promise in basketball. He was touted as one of the best sixth graders in the country. Really? <laughs> Which is insane. Who is out there rating sixth graders? Who's, who's scouting sixth graders when someone's doing it? So LeBron, in an interview to 60 Minutes, said, right around this time, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, his coach his, um, had a huge influence on him. And one thing the coach told him was that you should use basketball as a vehicle to get to where you want to go. And at the time, LeBron said he didn't really know what he meant. But looking back on it, he said, wow, you know, we didn't let the game of basketball use us. We used it. His high school team went on to win the national championship in 2003, just a few months after he was voted most likely to succeed by his high school graduating <laughs> class. He was the first overall pick in the NBA draft. He signed a multi-million dollar contract with the last place Cleveland Cavaliers. And even though he was an honor roll student and a smart cookie, in addition to being a gifted athlete, any 18-year-old with a ton of money is a dangerous prospect. Long story short, he plays for Cleveland. He plays for Miami. It causes some controversy. For some reason, I can't be bothered to understand. Don't email me. He goes back to Cleveland. All told, in his career, he wins three NBA championships, three NBA finals. MVP, he's named um, MVP 
for three of those NBA finals, and he's a four time NBA MVP. I don't know, that's a lot of letters, but I he's, he's good. He's good. He's good. Yeah. So, yeah, he's good. But he's also really savvy with money. And while you can never learn to play ball as well as LeBron, you can maybe learn some money lessons. So, here we go. You ready for the first lesson? I am so ready. LeBron is not paying for it. In 2015, he inked a lifetime endorsement with Nike that was worth north of $1 billion. Forbes estimates his net worth is $400 million. Despite all that, Dwayne Wade declared LeBron James the cheapest guy in the NBA, <laughs> and LeBron had to agree. He doesn't turn on data roaming. He doesn't buy apps. He still listens to Pandora with ads. In the interview, he said, I'm just not paying for it. <laughs> he insists that he drives a Kia to work and even sometimes rides a bike. So what's his biggest money regret? Buying a house in Las Vegas when he was in his early 20s. I guess they had like their training camps out there, and he thought, well, I'll just buy a house. But James said of his younger self, who buys a house in Vegas? His frugality is apparently rubbing off on his teammates. Um, a shooting guard for the Cavs, Iman Schubert, told the site Well Simple that the whole team is actually surprisingly frugal. LeBron's production company, along with JP Morgan, also produced a show about athletes and the lessons they learned about money, which is pretty cool because it talks about their mistakes and stuff. Uh, so, yes, he is frugal. But he does also own a bunch of nice cars and other toys, yes, so I don't have, think he he's does have suffering. some nice, and he is and he's generous with his money as well. Oh, we'll get to that. Okay. Also, supposedly he spent one hundred and seventy-one thousand dollars one night in a Las Vegas nightclub. Oops. Um, well, let's have some fun with math, <laughs> shall we, bro? Right, let's do that. So, if his net worth is four hundred million, according to Forbes. LeBron spending 171000 on a night out is the equivalent of someone with $1 million worth of net worth spending, do you want to guess? No. $427. Not the worst thing in the world, Not I the guess. the worst thing. I've never spent that night, much of a night, but that's all right. Uh, really? A like night out of like, town? Not like on a birthday party for your, like a... Like a party? You've no, never spent guess, 427 I, bucks on a party? No, no, no. I guess if, if you consider like taking the family to like a Broadway play or something like that, certainly it's cost that much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's doing this all the time. This right. is, I assume, a special, a special thing to celebrate something. Anyway, so yeah. So you're spending just as bad as LeBron <laughs> as a night out in Las Vegas. Way to go. But except for it's a Broadway play with, the, with a 12-year-old. Okay. So yeah, LeBron, he watches what he spends, but I think he also spends things on that really matter to him. And we just got done talking about the importance of watching what you spend. Right, exactly. Uh, I know that, that Sports Illustrated article that you cited previously, and it, it goes through many instances of people basically who made millions of dollars, but then spent millions more. In the end, you just got to live below your means if you want to build your wealth. Next way you can invest like LeBron is that LeBron thinks long term. All right, here's a direct quote. He said, I know that once I get off the floor, there's going to be more of my time spent off than on. So from age 9 to, let's see if you make it to 40, that's 31 years of your life. But from 40 to 85 or 90, hopefully I'm lucky to get to 90, that's 50 years. I still have to live life beyond the hardwood. (laughs) And this is going to come up a lot in the other points, is that he is always thinking long term in his money decisions. Uh, Here's one that we can debate the value of. Supposedly, he spends $1.5 million a year on taking care of his body. This includes personal trainers, chefs, equipment, all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, I don't know where the money is going to. Obviously, it's an investment that has paid off. I mean, for 
for every year that he is able to play, it's worth millions of dollars to him. So, I mean, it, it, it sounds like from a pure financial standpoint, it probably is a good investment, but I don't know exactly <laughs> what's going into that. <laughs> With the, the calculation. According to his coach, despite being 32, he has the body of a 19-year-old. Well, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow you're clapping. In the trunk? <laughs> Oh, that's bad. But your, but your laugh was kind of creepy, and then you had to say that. The body of a 19-year-old. <laughs> I didn't that sounds, mean it. I that didn't, sounds I mean, pretty he's, good. He's a handsome man, but I'm happily married, so I didn't mean it in any way like that. <laughs> that's kind of what it sounded like, though. <laughs> and then you have a body in the trunk. Great. It's crazy to me that even as an 18-year-old from such a young age, he's been thinking the long term and the long haul and life beyond basketball because even the put the smartest 18 year old drag him into this studio and they're still pretty dumb no right. offense 18 year olds but right. i was you once <laughs> it's pretty dumb yeah and i don't know i don't know enough about his life story to know what he attributes that to i do know that he really never knew his father his mother struggled and he saw that and you he had said at one point actually he he just, I think it was Instagram. He thanked his dad for not being in his life because it drove him to success. Um, and especially when you look at a sports career, yeah. on the average, it's two to three years. You have to be planning for beyond that. And, and kudos to him for, first of all, uh, being able to do it for as long as he have, but the thinking of the fact that it's possible that in any given day, you can get have some sort of career-ending injury. And he's thinking beyond that. Yeah. Next lesson. LeBron is a businessman and a businessman. So, as he once said, the first time I stepped on an NBA court, I became a businessman, and this is a great opportunity for me. So, soon after he signed with the Cavs, remember, he's 18 years old, Reebok invited him to their offices and offered him $10 million endorsement deal and said, you can take this right now, just promise me you won't talk to Nike or Adidas. And they literally slid him a check worth $10 million across the table. And here he is, an 18-year-old kid, he thinks... If this guy's willing to give me $10 million right now, who's not to say Nike or Adidas won't give me 20 or 30 And throughout his life, he's continued to bet on himself longer term versus getting that short-term money today. So, another example is how he looks at endorsement deals as partnerships and not just about shilling products and how he's betting on himself. So, it's not unusual for celebrities to invest in restaurants. Yep. I can think of some Planet Hollywood, anyone, <laughs> uh, or like every, like it seems like every athlete is invested in his cousin's restaurant, right? So LeBron also invested was an early investor in Blaze Pizza. It's like Chipotle meets pizza, I guess. You like point at stuff and you're like, put that 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 on my pizza, and then they fire it up really quick. Anyway. When his endorsement deal with McDonald's was up for renewal, instead of taking the $15 million, LeBron opted to endorse Blaze Pizza for free. According to Business Insider, he now owns 17 Blaze franchises. The company sales rose 83% last year to $185 million and are projected to hit $1.1 billion in 2022. So his initial investment of $1 million is now worth $25 million, according to ESPN. LeBron says, you started from the bottom and you created something that you can look at and say, wow, we did that. We did that and we own it. That's a really cool thing. And if it doesn't become successful, then I can only blame myself. So there's a phrase by Warren Buffett that we really love here at The Motley Fool. In fact, we have it up on the wall in our Buffett conference room. And that's, I'm a better investor because I'm a businessman and I'm a better businessman because I am an investor. Um, And I think that really gets to 
to where LeBron is when it comes to a lot of his business dealings. He approaches them as being a partner. He approaches them um, for the long term. Uh, but he approaches them as being a, a, a larger part of his overall brand and life and what he wants to be and do as opposed to just like, yeah, give me some money and I'll like say whatever you want to the camera kind of thing. Yeah. And this is a point uh, Buffett often makes in terms of, and we do here at The Motley Fool, in terms of when you invest, that you look at your as a part owner of that business. And it's true. I, mean, I own shares of Starbucks, so I am an illegal part owner of Starbucks. And it does make you look differently at the investment rather than just a number that that goes up and down in your bank statement or your brokerage statement. Yeah, particularly with the Blaze, like the Blaze investment in the pizza, um, the pizza place. You can tell he's really proud of it. You can tell he's proud that he made this decision to not promote McDonald's. And I don't know where the stock price has gone, but maybe I mean I don't know where it is lately. I know for a while there was not doing well. Um, and then back this company that he really believed in, really loved their product, and he feels like he is a part of the success of this company and not just like throwing money at a problem. Ready for another lesson? I am. LeBron diversifies. So there's his paycheck for playing basketball, not too shabby. There are his record-breaking endorsement deals. He's invested in restaurants, football clubs, and startup. In fact, startups. In fact, he earned thirty million dollars off of investing in Beats headphones. Wow! And he's also a movie star. The New York Times said, or the New Yorker actually said, that he was the funniest person in Amy Schumer's movie Trainwreck. Did you see him in Trainwreck? I did not. He's, Rick's shaking his head. He was funny. Well, he was very good. He was very good in Trainwreck. And uh, he also has his own production company for movies and TV. Uh, they've created content for Netflix, NBC, HBO, and yes, they are even working on a remake of the kid and play movie House Party. <laughs> really? Yeah. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> You've talked about this. A lot on the show, actually, the idea of um, thinking about where your money is, where you are bringing in money, whether you can make money on the side. Like side gigs are such a big thing right now. Right. And it doesn't have to be necessarily something outside of your employer. You could be doing more stuff within your company. You could be looking at where could you could add the most value to your employer and then making that known. Um, and then once you you basically have your human capital, and what he's done is he has his human capital that's playing basketball, but then he's parlayed that into investment capital. So think of your human capital. How can you enhance that? But then it really has value once you use that to invest in other businesses. Right, right. And going back to the advice from his coach when he was a kid about using basketball to get someplace. Getting to basketball is not the end. It's using basketball to get someplace else right. is really the goal. Finally, LeBron believes in education. So he was drafted out of high school to the NBA, which means, of course, he didn't get his college degree. Remember how I said he was an honor roll student? Yeah. So he intends to return and is already signed up at the University of Akron. He just needs to find some free time. He is particularly fond of math and history. The LeBron James Family Foundation is primarily focused on education. And he has pledged $41 million to helping at-risk kids from elementary school on up to college stay in school. And James has said that it's the most important professional accomplishment of his life. Wow. Uh, aside from the traditional sense of education, he also makes a point to learn from business experts. He's been seen dining with Carlos Slim. Like I said, he's a friend of Warren Buffett's, Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer. On CNBC, uh, LeBron asked Buffett's advice. For like, what should I invest in next? Like they cut to a video of him. He's like, so what should I invest in next? And Buffett, do you want to know what Buffett said? So boring. Make monthly investments into low cost index funds and hold for the next thirty to forty years. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. All right. So what's good for LeBron is good for you, too. That's true. To That's true. And, to we'll, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. Yeah. And, of course, we here at The Motley Fool really love continuing education. And we really love learning from other people, too. Right. And that actually, for me personally, that goes back to the whole human capital part and that you look at ways that you can enhance your career, diversify your income, get designations or advanced degrees that matter. Don't just go out and get a degree and pay thousands of dollars for something that doesn't matter. But depending on your field, getting some sort of extra skill or certification or something actually will do a great deal for opening up opportunities for you or even just meriting higher pay. Yeah. I also like the idea of the comp. He's using um, his stature as a great athlete to be able to pick up the phone and call Warren Buffett and say, hey, can I take you out for dinner and stuff like that. And he's broadening the company that he's keeping to learn from these other experts, these entrepreneurs, these businessmen, um, which, I mean, I wish I could just pick up the phone and I wish I could just drop Warren Buffett an email and hear back from him. <laughs> not everyone can do that. That's no, true. not anyone. Not just anyone. <laughs> but some, some of us are more lucky than others. Spoiler. Spoiler for later in the show. <laughs> <laughs> My closing thoughts here is that uh, I think the biggest takeaway is, yeah, he's good with money, but he also just works really, yeah. really hard. Yeah, He works hard at being the best athlete he can be. He works hard at managing his money the best he can, and it's mind-boggling. I'm sure he watches Game of Thrones like the rest of us, uh, but it kind of made me think about what opportunities I've wasted or how <laughs> I maybe could have better uh, used my time for education, investing, or family. Uh, so yeah, he's a successful athlete, actor, philanthropist, investor. I have several half-finished knitting projects and a thriving orchid. And the body of a 19-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Oh. But I do have this podcast, and I do have you guys as friends. So I'll put that in the win column for That's me. That's true. Yeah. All right. Do you want Something to go... LeBron doesn't have. Right. He doesn't yeah. have you guys as friends or a, th- or a somewhat thriving podcast. <laughs> That receives postcards from people around the world. Although I imagine if he wanted to start a podcast, he oh. could probably pull it off. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, maybe. I don't know. Whatever. It's fine. And if he wants me to produce it, I'm available. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Traitor. Oh, that's fine. I'd leave me for LeBron, too. So, anyway. So, there you go. Some money lessons from LeBron James. You'll never be able to ball like him, but you can try to manage your money like him. It's not, you could do worse, for sure. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. It's March Madness time, and we're all excitedly filling out our brackets in order to win 100 bucks in the office pool. How hard could it be? Do you know what the odds are for getting a perfect bracket? Incredibly low. The odds are 1 in 128 billion. Wow. Now, if the games were all 50-50 toss-ups, the odds would be closer to 9.2 quintillion, according to a mathematics professor at DePaul University. That's 18 zeros. Wow. So let's say you're the third richest man in the world. How do you play that bet? In previous years, Buffett's offered $1 million a year for life to Berkshire Hathaway employees if they just get the sweet 16 correct. Not even get a perfect bracket. The conciliatory prize is 100,000 to whoever gets the farthest. So there's roughly 100,000 Berkshire Hathaway employees participate uh, every year. And so it's a pretty large pool of people. Still, according to 538, 
the odds of getting the Sweet 16 right are 1 in 9 million. So, it's a pretty safe bet for Buffett. March Madness is interesting and everything, but Bro is actually going to talk about a more interesting bet that Buffett made that you probably heard a little about. Yes. It was a bet that just closed, I guess is a term you could use, this year. And Buffett talked a bit about it in the recent annual letter, and he also talked about it last year as it was closing. But basically, what it came down to is, back in December of 2007, Buffett bet that a simple S&P 500 index fund would beat a collection of hedge funds. The amount on the line was a million dollars, and both sides of the bet chose their respective charities. Buffett chose Girls Inc. of Omaha, which runs educational, recreational, and mentorship programs for local girls ages 5 to 18. His aim, according to the recent annual letter, was to, quote, to publicize my conviction that my pick, a virtually cost-free investment in an unmanaged S&P 500 index fund, would over time deliver better results than those achieved by most investment professionals, however well-regarded and incentivized those helpers may be. So now, someone else did take him up on the bet. It was a company called Protégé Partners. It's a financial advisory firm. They don't actually manage the money. They pick managers. So, up against the S&P 500 index fund, they chose five funds of funds, which is basically a fund, a hedge fund, that then chooses individual hedge funds. So, all total, it was an S&P index fund up against 200 hedge funds. First year was 2008. That was the year the market crashed. So, the S&P 500 went down 37%. In that year, the S&P 500 lost to the hedge funds. And to a certain degree, that's what you'd expect. That's where the term hedge fund comes from. It's supposed to be a hedge against something like an overall market decline. That said, they didn't make money. They all lost money, too. They just didn't lose as much as the S&P 500. And then, the next nine years, the S&P 500 beat the average return of all five funds of funds. So, for the total period, which just closed out as the end of 2017, the total return for the S&P 500 was 125%. Annualized, that's 8.5%. So keep that in mind, right? So it returned 8.5%. That's lower than that 10% you always hear about. So it wasn't a great 10-year period to be invested in stocks. It was below average. Still, the funds of funds, their average annual return ranged from 0.3% to a high of 6.5%. Wow. And all along the that's way, that's net of fees, or that's, that's net of fees. Yeah. And that's the important one of the that's really one of Buffett's main points because all along, while these folks are underperforming the market, they are on average earning two and a half percent a year. So even though they're losing to the market, they're making tons of money. Um, and that in the end was the main point for Buffett. In fact, he closed it out by saying, performance comes, performance goes, fees never falter. As you mentioned earlier, an S&P 500 index fund is what Buffett recommended to LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in his will as what he recommends for his wife if he predeceases her. He thinks most people should have at least some of their money in an index fund. Uh, well, bro, you actually, you're, you're not going to want to talk about this, but you actually just got an email from Warren Buffett. <laughs> I did, actually. And it's uh, in response to something he put in his letter relative to this, because he talked about how the S&P 500 sort of had an advantage just because, in general, the market just goes up. And he had the sentence in his letter, it said, in 100% of the 43 10-year periods since we took control of Berkshire, years with gains by the S&P 500 exceeded loss years. 
And I, for an article, I was trying to break up the 10-year periods, and it didn't quite coincide with what he said. So I just emailed Berkshire Hathaway. I was like, what, at what point, what period is Mr. Buffett starting? And that part about years with gains by the S&P 500 exceeded lost years. Lost years. Some people interpret that as meaning that the S&P 500, 500 made money over every 10-year period, but that's not true. There are times it didn't. So I was just confirming that what he means is that the number of years that it made money exceeded the number of years where it lost money. And then I broke it up for an article. It's like, of those 43 10-year rolling periods, 19 periods had nine up years and only one down years, whereas something like eight had six up years and four down years. But regardless, I just wanted to confirm that I got that right. And then I got an email back from Warren Buffett confirming it, although he doesn't do email, so it had to come from one of his assistants. But the most interesting part about that is he added that I thought about illustrating my point with the period from my initial stock purchase in the first quarter of 1942, exact date unknown. All 67 of the subsequent 10-year periods have had more plus than minus years. Quite a tailwind for my investing lifetime. Quite. Quite. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's the show. It is edited balleringly by Rick Engdahl. <laughs> he makes the worst faces every time I come up with my adverb for the week. Like I've punched him in the face. Um, the show is edited. No, we're going with that. The show we're is edited balleringly by Rick Engdahl. Love it. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>